Life is full of awesome what ifs and some not so much, like unexpected medical costs. That's why United Healthcare provides Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans to supplement your primary plan and help manage out of pocket costs. Learn more at uh1.com. Jewelry isn't a gift you give just once, it's a way to remind your loved one of a beautiful moment every time they see it. Blue Nile can help you find the gift that says how you feel and says it beautifully with expert guidance and a wide assortment of jewelry of the highest quality at the best price. Go to BlueNile.com and experience the convenience of shopping Blue Nile, the original online jeweler since 1999. That's BlueNile.com to find the perfect jewelry gift for any occasion. BlueNile.com This is Internet Marketing. Welcome everybody. So, you've got a different person on the line today. I'm Scott Colnup from Site Visibility, Managing Director. And you might be asking yourself, where's Andy? So Andy White has been an amazing podcast host for us for a long time now. But we're making some changes to our podcast with the goal of bringing an even greater breadth of insider tips and advice from our team at Site Visibility. For this reason, within the next month, I'll be taking over full-time hosting duties from Andy. Andy's still got around three to four episodes to record, so he's not done with this just yet. He's still got plenty of time to enjoy his dulcet tones. But then it will be over to me. So, who am I? I've been in the marketing industry for 15 years. I've been on the podcast several times before. And marketing is what I spend my time on from the moment I wake and it's what keeps me up at night. So I think we're going to have plenty of time and plenty of fun getting to know each other. We're still going to be talking to some of the most respected names in marketing. And we've got some really exciting guests lined up. And you're also going to be hearing way more from our team at Site Visibility on upcoming episodes. And on that note, today, my guest is Jason Woodford. CEO at Site Visibility. Jason, say hello. Hello there. Hello there. Uh, today, Jason and I will be discussing our journey through COVID-19 so far, how it's impacted our agency, and we'll be sharing the lessons that we've learned. Hopefully, you'll be able to take that advice and apply it to your business. At very least, we think it's going to generate some interesting discussion and some interesting ideas. And Jason, I told you just before we started recording, I have a little treat for you today. Do you want to know what that treat is? I, I, I need to know what the treat is, please. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so uh, I'm sick, as I think most people are, of certain phrases related to the pandemic. Those include unprecedented times, difficult times, tough times, and the new normal. So we've got to try our very best to get through this episode without using those phrases. Are you up for that challenge? Scott, I can do that. They're not in my <laughs> vocabulary. So the pandemic has affected us all in a variety of different ways. And in the marketing industry, it's been particularly interesting uh, and a very unusual time. And everyone has res- had to respond in different ways. So we just wanted to talk through how that's impacted our agency to date, some of the very specific tactics that we've deployed, the emotional side uh, and how that's impacted us, and what we see for the future. 
So going back to the start, when this started to affect us, uh, Jason, in your opinion, was this something that was an immediate one day it wasn't there and the next day it affected us? Or did you feel like it was gradual? It's a really interesting question, that, Scott. Um, from our perspective, I think um, it's, it, uh, it took place over a few months, but it seems like it was extremely quick. Um, it started um, back in January where a couple of our clients who had exposure to the Far East started to report a downturn. And then in the office, we started to use sanitizer in the office and and people were traveling less. And then we started working from home and then the lockdown happened. And that, I mean, in the terms of the business, that took place over two to three months. Um, it seems like it was much quicker than that. Yeah, it's funny you say the, uh, you mentioned hand sanitizer. One of thinking back, and I haven't had too much of a chance just being in it day to day. Uh, thinking back to the series of events that led us to working from home in terms of the reflection. But I remember one week, uh, Laurie, our office manager, was bringing in Dettol wipes so we can all uh, keep our desks clean and bacteria-free and virus-free. And the next week, um, we were all working from home. So I guess for me, we... And I also remembered a discussion that we had in a board meeting maybe around February time where you Jason said something along the lines of shouldn't we be paying perhaps greater attention to this and we all kind of debated that point and then from there maybe from early February onwards that's when it really started to ramp up um, and these but the impact of this I don't think for us as an agency has been felt until probably the last six weeks would you would you agree with that yeah I, I would I would agree with that. The um, I mean, we had sort of concerning conversations with you know, retail clients who found they weren't able to open their stores or unable to fulfil their sort of online shops and travel businesses not starting to operate. And these conversations became more frequent and more urgent. And um, so the impact really really hit our business in as you said in March yeah and so so thinking that through from our from our communication so our outbound communication so we were probably having internal conversations about this back in maybe February through to March and uh, you know it's hard to piece together the story from memory entirely but I think then we started to have some conversations with clients in perhaps late February early March about this and how they were planning on responding um, so on that note, what can you remember about how we communicated the impact or the potential impact of this with our clients? In, initially, our conversations with clients were more exploratory, I seem to remember, asking them questions around, um, are they aware of what's what's happening in, initially in Asia? And is it having an impact on them? Some of our travel businesses, some of our live events businesses, you know, were and are operating in Asia. So those initially didn't seem to be impacted. However, very quickly they did become impacted, and then it became a revenue revenue issue. So those conversations are mostly uh, by email and telephone phone calls. Um, you know, our our account managers would be talking to our clients personally. Um, about about what was what was happening and asking questions about how it's impacting how it's impacting them. And obviously, we're searching for ways that we can help 
um, through those conversations. So lots of open questions. Yeah, I recall something very similar, actually, in that I would say from a from an outbound perspective, we didn't start communicating our plans until maybe mid-March, but conversations with our clients started a little bit earlier. And um, not necessarily through um, naivety or ignorance, but I would say that the, um, our clients seem to be impacted a bit more immediately by this. And again, it, it, our clients range from national to global businesses so i'm sure they all had uh, different reasons for that but for some of our clients in particular it started to hit them pretty immediately the realization that this was happening and you know for retail clients doors might be closed or um for the travel industry that might be kind of shut down temporarily um and then it really from about mid-march onwards started to become a bit more difficult i don't think i felt very early on the need to either from a CEO perspective or me as a managing director to um, provide any external communication or reassurance um, until we had our plan clear. And then I think we started to communicate that externally maybe after mid-March or around mid-March, probably around the time that we actually decided to close the office. And that was the trigger for us to communicate a lot of changes in our plans to clients uh, we, we have the benefit in our agency of having dedicated account management uh, account managers and they typically will be the primary points of contact for our clients. So we were able to distribute our message from our board to our account managers, um, to our clients. And we've actually, a, another way in which we were able to communicate with our clients, Jason, that I've just recorded is the offer. Um, I think from around mid-March when lockdown I think it was around that time, wasn't it? Lockdown started mid-March in the UK. That's when we started to offer uh, non-chargeable COVID-19 discussions with our clients where we could just uh, discuss how it's impacted their business, how we could, from a marketing perspective, and even a more general business perspective, our ideas on how they could continue to run their business. Uh, And we've had some really enjoyable conversations with our clients around that. And I think that really helped to build trust and from our perspective, I think another key point is um, showed our empathy. You know, it wasn't a time for us to try and sell. It wasn't a, tr- a time for us to panic and talk about contracts. It was really our time to explore with clients how they could remain operational. Do you, do you know, Scott, those were, those were probably the activities that I was most proud of our team uh, during, the, during the process where, you know, we had some clients who and some contacts of ours who who were really struggling with the impact this was having on their business and in some instances it was just encouraging to see a broader openness to other opportunities to sort of shining a light on a potential way forward when everything seemed so dark and um, I felt like uh, that was a great way to to get closer to clients and to to genuinely help them that's it's interesting you talk about that because as just as a marketer from a marketing perspective and this is something that i referenced in our newsletter i think at the end of march beginning of april and i thought about this a lot but i I sent a statement to our email subscribers which include our customers um, and one of the lines in there which i debated a little bit in my mind was that i was grateful for this time and that can seem very smug perhaps very arrogant 
and I thought about it a lot. And I was talking from the perspective as, um, of just a, the marketing challenge of this. Um, so obviously I'm not grateful for illness. I'm not grateful for death. Um, and I'm not grateful for the impact it's had on our economy, but I was grateful for the marketing challenge because I think it's a real good challenge of a marketer's skill and one of those skills being empathy at this time. Um, and I really, I, I still believe that. And so you talking about our, the meetings that we had with clients to explore things beyond our day-to-day contract, items beyond just a marketing discipline. They, that's been, I think you used the phrase shining light, but that's been one of the, the my most enjoyable experiences over the last six to eight weeks is having those discussions with clients and really getting to learn more about their businesses um, in ways that perhaps wouldn't have happened otherwise. Um, so I agree with that. That's been probably the highlight of my time uh, from a marketing perspective, at least. So this hasn't all been smooth, hasn't all been enjoyable. It's been very difficult. I'm sure you've had a lot of late nights, as have I. Uh, we've discussed and got through a lot of difficulty in this period. And this, this might be a painful point of discussion. Um, for us this next part but I think this one might be most useful for our listeners Um, the decisions that we've had to take in respect of our business so if you could just speak on a little bit of some of the key decisions that we've had to take over these last few months um, and I guess how they've impacted you personally as well would be interesting sure now this is you're right this is um this is a painful potentially soul-searching part of a conversation but the reality once the reality hit in terms of our clients where in some cases in some travel businesses they found that their revenue was going backwards into negative territory you know it was it became pretty clear um within weeks that this was going to have a serious impact on on some of our customers and and therefore on ourselves whether we like it or not and regardless of the relationship and regardless of how much money we're making for our clients, it's going to have an impact. And so that impacts revenue and cost, revenue and profit um, down and not sure for how long that revenue is going to be impacted. So we certainly had to look at our costs and we review our costs on a weekly basis anyway. Um, However, this was going to the next level in terms of actually we need to move into cost reduction. And uh, we've got a, a process in place which, you know, which our finance department has been involved in, where all budget holders have um, prioritised their costs, and we had to cut our non-essential costs within the, the business. That that it, that extended after a few weeks into um, looking at um, non-essential costs, where our revenue has forced a revenue reduction has forced us to look at um, other costs that could be temporarily removed and this is where the UK government's rapid and I think generous support to businesses designed specifically to ensure that redundancies are prevented have enabled us to temporarily um, remove staff, some staffing costs from the business and that has allowed us to continue with a reasonable amount of optimism. So we have had to furlough some staff, sadly, um, in in different parts of the business. And um, 
those those were we the finance department also looked at the other support in terms of freeing up cash flow so cost reductions one element second element is cash flow one part of the cash flow conversation is how can we extend and maximize our cash flow so looking at ways to extend our payment terms for paye for example our tax payments where the government allowed businesses to um, de- defer those tax payments which we which we did um, from an organizational perspective and um, from a personal perspective it's also you know I've known from way back at the beginning starting up the business it felt a bit like startup territory in terms of you know you've got to also look at your personal finances so looking at how as an individual I can minimize my personal costs so it's impacted me personally in terms of of um, taking a mortgage holiday, for example, and you know, encouraging the kids to um, just think a bit more carefully about their costs and uh, reducing our holiday expenditure, for example, and those sorts of plans. Because you know, realistically, none of us really know how this is going to impact us in six months' time. So the best thing that we can do right now is to, is to minimise the risk by minimising our, our costs. And so that's something that we've done on a, on a business perspective as well as from a personal perspective. But none of the important thing at, at this stage is that none of that cost reduction has been a permanent cost reduction. It's been a temporary mm-hmm. cost reduction. And um, again, that's only possible through the way the UK government has supported businesses here in the UK. Interesting. Yeah, we'll touch on the government support in a little bit more detail in a moment. But you, you touched on several points there, which I think are interesting to, to kind of discuss a little bit further the first is the point about furloughing just my observations for this is not just marketing but there does seem to have been a negative stigma attached to furloughing when actually as you just discussed it's an amazing uh it's a it's an amazing scheme uh from the government and in other scenarios this would have caused so many companies to have to explore redundancies and actually one of the more disappointing things that I've observed was when the lockdown measures were initially implemented, the um, the raft of companies that made some, I, what I consider fairly knee-jerk reactions to make people redundant before hearing the government advice was quite disappointing. I'm sure we all had stories and heard stories of companies that had made people redundant that day. Um, so that was a, a little disappointing. Uh, you could argue that perhaps the government should have announced the job retention scheme information a little bit earlier in the process, and that may have avoided some of those early redundancies. Um, but we'll, you know, we'll we are using the scheme. We're benefiting from the scheme, and we managed to phase the scheme in our company in a way that made sense. And like you said, before we even utilised the scheme, it was about. Our first phase was just reducing all non-essential operating costs, so not even staff-related first. And looking back on the process that we've been through, I'm actually really proud of how we approached that. Uh, I think we, I'd hope, I guess our our team in the company will be the judge of this, but I'd hope that we uh, approached that in a way that was logical and we communicated that internally in a way that helped everyone to be reassured because the other point that you noted here is you know regardless of people's concerns about their day-to-day work life you've then got all the extra um personal finance management stuff to consider uh and it doesn't matter your salary i think everyone is being conscious of the money that they're spending um 
And so that on top of day-to-day work is really mentally challenging for a lot of people, I think. So on the point of the government's, uh, the government schemes and grants, you talked a little bit about furloughing, but can you talk about other, uh, because there are business loans, furloughing and other options. Can you talk about some of the other options that you've considered and uh, have been exploring? Sure. Well, we weren't, we didn't qualify for some of the um, some of the support that was that was offered, but um, what we did what we did and have taken advantage of is the VAT deferment, the VAT value added tax here in the UK deferment, um, which is a significant sum. You you do have to pay it in the end, so this isn't sort of um, uh, removing that payment; it's just saving that payment for a for a better day later on. Um, so the job retention scheme, the furloughing scheme that we've discussed, um, is something that we've that we've used, and it has to be said, you know, most of our customers have used as well. We've got yeah. some customers with thousands of staff on furlough, so this is where the government is paying private companies uh, the salaries of their thousands of staff. It's quite incredible, and we are exploring the the um, coronavirus. Um, uh, business loan schemes and the bounce back loan scheme that was announced just today and the reason for this is we really no no one knows what's going to happen into the future and and hopefully um we won't actually need to use these loans but i think as a as a business you know you have to put your pride to the side and look at the potential scenarios that you could be entering over the next 12 months and and it's better to have that cash in the business, on the balance sheet, and available to be used when it's needed, and if it's needed, and if it's not, we'll just pay it back. Um, but those are the main the main schemes that we we have used. We haven't been eligible for the small business grants fund. Um, bizarrely, our office rateable value was too high, and I think we're a classic small business, but we weren't eligible for that. And uh, and equally, the business rates relief, which was which was um, sad. You just touched on a great point in te- as you were talking from uh, putting your pride to the side. And I think a key message or a key lesson maybe there is that even if you think your your business, regardless of size, uh, doesn't need the government support, you, sh- t- you should still take the steps to explore the government advice and the schemes available because we just don't know how long this might continue for. And so it's better to be educated uh, with the options that are available uh, than to not at all. Uh, I think that was a really good point that you made as you were talking through. And, and as you said, pride as well. I think the pride thing impacts furloughing and maybe that's why there's a little bit of a negative stigma attached to it, you know, to, to feel like you might have to use the scheme. But it's to keep people employed. It's to keep, um, and ultimately, if you're keeping people employed and you're making the right decisions regarding cost management, then that should mean uh, that you can continue to operate as a business uh, down the line a little bit further and ultimately support not only your staff the people side of it but overall if everyone takes that approach support the economy and the bounce back of the economy eventually so this is a really difficult question to answer uh, and you're going to hate me for asking it but do you think the government support has gone far enough wow that's a 6 p.m bbc news question <laughs> Thank you, Scott. I'm not ready for that. Yeah. I'll, I'll take care of the podcast hosting first, and then maybe move on to the 6 p.m. news. Um, probably not would be the way I'd answer that question. Um, however, and this is a big however. Um, it's quite incredible to see 
how these really imaginative support packages have been pulled together in an incredibly short period of time, not only pulled together, but been approved and funded within a matter of weeks. Um, I mean, it's quite astonishing how much has been achieved. And if you compare what we get in the UK, you know, versus what's available in other countries, most notably to our friends in the US, you know, it's quite incredible what they have done. So I think it's... So when it's probably not, because there will be businesses that will go bust. Um, there will be probably hundreds of thousands of people who will become unemployed over the next few months. Hopefully, we'll all get back into business really quickly. You know, that's consumer confidence um, will drive demand, will drive orders for businesses, um, hopefully UK businesses, and help us get back. Um, but probably not to save everyone, um, but certainly done more than I would have expected otherwise. Well, this, uh, this is a really challenging question to answer. And actually, as I'd written down the question for our show notes to as an outline, I thought, how would I answer this? <laughs> and uh, how would you? Well, the difficult thing is that we have nothing in my lifetime. Uh, we have no, I have nothing to compare it to. And so sometimes the question you know, do you think it's gone far enough? You can look at it two ways. You can look at um, a comparison to a previous time or a similar time that this may have happened. Yeah. Or you can just detach yourself from history and just say, what more did the government or do the government need to do or have they needed to do? And um, the biggest thing that stands out to me is not for our business, actually. It's probably the freelance support or the self-employment support. That's the area which I think I mean, just from my circles, that came too late and probably isn't enough or at the same level or as robust as the small business support. So if there's an area that I think could have been improved or maybe still continue, uh, you know, still requires improvement, it's probably the self-employment benefits. Um, that still is a little bit unclear to me. Um, it's, a, it's a very, again, this is very difficult to answer that question uh so i appreciate yeah i appreciate you going through that response well i guess what else would you maybe like to see obviously we can talk about history and what's happened but what else would you like to see at this point in time you know as we're recording this we're week two maybe week i can't even remember what week we're in in terms of the lockdown there's an announcement this week regarding either an extension or continuation so either an extension or um, reduction in measures related to the lockdown what would you like to see next what, where could the communication improve from your perspective um again an, another or oh, great a great question i i you know thanks for asking it i think the most important thing is for us to have confidence us as businesses and that's driven from consumer confidence the consumer in the uk in europe certainly globally probably is shattered and is nervous and worried. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. 
it. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hey, Dave. Yeah, Randy. Since we founded Bombas, we've always said our socks, underwear, and T-shirts are super soft. Any new ideas? Maybe sublimely soft. Or disgustingly cozy. Wait, what? I got it. Bombas. Absurdly comfortable essentials for yourself and for those facing homelessness. Because one purchased equals one donated. Wow, did we just write an ad? Yes. Bombus. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombus.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. And and um time will tell when people regain that confidence however the biggest thing the government can do is everything within its economic within its public and social policy um armory to restore consumer confidence and that may be about you know delaying and furthering the lockdown to ensure that we don't get a second peak that mm-hmm. sounds um sounds like sort of sensible plans or anything to increase the confidence of our customers that um it's worth investing in their futures which of course it is, but uh, it, it, any help to ensure that. So speaking of the future, uh, a lot of people uh, have opinions on where this pandemic might impact us in the long term, but thinking beyond the immediate, so thinking beyond the next three to six months, are, are there any thoughts that you've had about how the pandemic might impact businesses or even when it comes to marketing user behavior um, at this time? It's um, it's really interesting. Something I've thought about recently is how much innovation is taking place right now. How, how much innovation is being forced? So there's innovation that would have naturally just occurred through timing. However, with the increased pressures from multiple dimensions, um, innovations will have been squeezed forward and up the pipeline and would have been road tested more quickly. And some of those are going to be successes. There'll be a much more sort of accelerated innovation process. So I think companies that are able to capitalize on those innovations are going to have a, you know, a posit- hopefully a positive experience from that. And something we're really interested in within the business, as, you, as you'll know, is um, you know, looking for you know, new trends and patterns and new opportunities for clients. So I think um, identifying those and building momentum on those opportunities are are important um, from a business perspective. And, you know, th- it hasn't all been negative from a business perspective. There are some sectors that are growing rapidly. Um, there are some, you know, sectors that are re- just have the right products and services in this current environment, and there are a multitude of you know, research reports out on that. And uh, those will no doubt continue. But there are, there are also some operational things that are, have been quite fun and, um, and positive that I'm sure will, will uh, impact all businesses in the long term. So if you, if you ever thought that uh, having meetings online was, uh, was, um, was not for you, I'm sure it is now. And those decisions, you know, about 
working remotely, uh, whether that's a luxury or a necessity. I think those questions around that will have evaporated fairly quickly. You know, Scott, how important do you think it is for us to have a physical office now? Um, I don't think it's important at all. That's the answer to your question. Uh, I know I might be alone in that, but um, yeah, I'd agree with you. And actually, I'm going to ask uh, some more questions of you around that topic. But I I agree with you about the point of innovation in that it's very easy, you know, prior to this pandemic to uh, for you to not invest in self-development, to go about your day to day business, to get by. And then suddenly everyone has all this time on their hands and suddenly a lot of people have new challenges. And so you start to, from what I've seen, um, at least from our team, is a greater amount of resourcefulness. Um, and that's something that I'm really excited by. And maybe we're not seeing the full benefits of it now, but we were talking about the long term. I think right now, now is the time that people are reconnected with reconnecting with some of their passions um you know with time in their hands to think and to act on those things uh it's a time for people to reinvest in their mental health um to get their mind in a good space and so i think the lasting benefits of those practices hopefully uh will see some real interesting innovation in the long run i agree um i think you touched upon virtual meetings and the adaption of offline uh, particularly event companies who are having to adapt having to adapt fast i think perhaps it's causing them to realize that actually this is something that should have happened within their business a long time ago to have a plan b and i'm really excited about the future of virtual meetings and what's going to happen in the software space um it's been good um we you know we've used tools like slack go to meeting i'm aware of webinar companies using things like zoom crowdcast and uh, tools like that and but i think there's still a long way to go um to make them more enjoyable experiences and so i'm looking forward to some of the experimentation that goes on on those platforms and actually another thing is how how people are making money from those platforms is an area of interest for me as well from your perspective in terms of innovation as you touched on it what have been some of the most intriguing innovations or exciting innovations that you've seen at this uh, throughout these last few months? Well, one of, in terms of innovations that I've seen, one, one is particularly intriguing, uh, which is e-learning. So we, hmm. some people who've been listening to the, the podcast for a number of years will remember back in 2006 when it started, we, we actually had our own e-learning business. And... Um, What's been quite incredible is how some of the live online learning experiences and managing virtual teams, sort of training course content that we developed back in 2000 and 2004 um, is now more relevant than ever before. And um, it's quite incredible how sort of e-learning is having a, having a resurgence, a rightful resurgence, um, just out of necessity and out of the benefits it can bring. So that's that would be the one standout um, opportunity. Yeah. E-learning stands out to me now. Now that you say it as well, I mean, I'm someone just personally that I enjoy e-learning and I enjoy that element of you know video-based learning. Take it at your own pace. Uh, but I've been, I've actually been, you know, one real positive 
that I've seen are the responses from the e-learning e-learning companies. Now, of course, they want to make money, and they the the commercial aspect of it is that they want to capitalize on a period where people are investing more in their own self development. But some of the platforms have done amazing things in terms of offering free courses, offering huge discounts on courses, and providing more guidance around the types of courses to take. Um, and I've been really impressed, actually, at the mental health aspect and the promotion of that from the companies that stand out to me just off the top of my head are Udacity and Udemy. I'm sure there are plenty of others that have done it. Maybe Coursera, I think, uh, I saw this as well, where they've been creating kind of tracks of mental health or productivity-related courses as well um, for free or for very, very cheap. So that has been a real positive. And, yeah, you're right, in the long run, um, maybe that will be really good for – in. Uh, I mean, I touched on it to, for people to reconnect with their passion. So I'm excited by maybe not necessarily the art or the innovation that we see right now, but what might come out of this period in the next six to 12 months. So moving on in terms of everything that we've discussed today, we it's a crisis management situation. And we actually, on a previous podcast, we had our partners at midnight talking about how to communicate in a crisis. And it's easy for me to say this, but I feel like we've done a, a good job internally and with our clients. But something that stood out to me as we were talking through these notes and just prior to you know pressing the record button is that we don't have a documented crisis management plan. But we've both agreed uh, that we should. Why do you think we hadn't written this down yet, had something documented, and how important do you think that is? A crisis management plan is incredibly important. So, yeah, I'm surprised we haven't got one documented. However, it depends what sort of crisis you're talking about. If you're talking about a marketing, a digital marketing crisis online, you know, there are sort of services and and um, consultancy approaches to that. There's also, you know, for example, if our IT system uh, fell apart and we got hacked or or the uh, power supply went, you know, we have got a plan to deal with those sort of operational, physical, tangible processes. But when 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 the world economy collapses in two months, um, no, we didn't have that one written down. And <laughs> the only the only the best plan in these sorts of situations because I've sort of been through three recessions I think whilst working at site visibility and um, the best plan is is to be alert to change and to have the decision makers available and able to make decisions on a rapid rapid and evolving basis and so sometimes I I, I can imagine that if we had a plan written down, would we have stuck to that plan over the last three weeks? Um, I don't know. I challenge that. I think there's a case for being dynamic in situations like this. You know, you look at you know Darwin's Darwin's favourite quote, and I will definitely get this wrong. Is around uh, you know survival is around those that adapt to change most effectively, and and I think that's what we all need to do right now. Yeah, it's um, again, part of the reason uh, in terms of some of the format changes and the hosting changes on this podcast was that we can introduce our listeners to what's happening in our business and, you know, tackle some of these difficult questions. And 
when I, again when I was thinking about this particular question for this podcast, uh, I'm hoping it will not actually help us as well in terms of the things that we need to do in our business and uh, and shine a light on the things that we might need to change. I agree largely uh, with what you've said, Jason. I think that would we have stuck to a plan and would we even known how to have produced that plan until this point? I'm not sure that we would have. So much is, has changed on a day-to-day basis um, as we're speaking right now over the last two weeks. I feel like we're in a better place that we may consider documenting a plan uh, probably within the next one month that talks about our our ongoing plans for the future for the company and some of the you know just writing down some of the key points from our discussions but you're completely right w- would a crisis management plan have helped in this period i'm not too sure we've we've been working non-stop day and night for the last two weeks responding to i guess the emotional side as well um struggling clients struggling partners things that we just maybe couldn't have planned for and and perhaps one of the key points when it comes to crisis management planning is i guess you could argue is does that disconnect you from the empathy part is actually being responsive at this time and perhaps i'm just justifying it for myself but by allowing ourselves a little bit of creative freedom away from documented planning for this period has that enabled us to respond more authentically i think it has and that's been a good outcome for me as well so uh, I guess, would you agree with that point? Do you, do you feel like we've responded authentically? Do you think that I, I, that's another key thing that stands out to me is the the being human part. I feel like the what what these last few months has brought about in terms of what I see is the communication between us and clients and clients and partners. There is much more of a human element to it. It's Scott, a discussion. Scott, you're, def- you're, definitely, you're definitely right. You're definitely right there that it's the most important and most difficult difficult piece. And whether whether we've done a, a good job at that, you know, time will, I guess, time will. Let our clients and our team be the judge of that. Exactly. Exactly. And I'm sure they will. <laughs> um, but we've definitely approached it differently in terms of, I feel that, and one of the, one of the, um, advances that we've made with, with your involvement is the increased transparency and openness you know we're discussing things in in team meetings and weekly stand-ups or uh, go-to meeting calls that you know we 10 years ago we'd never discuss those openly uh, within the team not for any negative reason but we wouldn't have we wouldn't have been sort of working out loud like that to, yeah. to use a phrase um stolen from a great brighton-based marketer called will mckinnis um so I think uh, I think that the client side is is you know we tried I think you, we definitely have tried to help on a and then had some incredibly emotional conversations um, helping clients get down to you know finding a viable future for their businesses or businesses that they're interested in. So moving on to decisions that we're making now. So we are operational at the moment. We're still serving. We're in a very fortunate position to be uh, operating as normal in terms of the services that we uh, we provide. At the moment, we are doing a slightly reduced team. What other decisions are we making right now that you can talk through? Again, this might help listeners that are in a similar situation. 
things that we're thinking about, things that we're actioning that perhaps we haven't written down in part. We just talked about a crisis management plan, but things that we we know we're working on. Yeah. So in terms of things that we're working on to help uh, the business get back up and running. Um, so knowing that a lot of our audience are agency owners uh, around the world or people in e-commerce or digital marketing, things that we're focused on are as best as we can to try to understand where our clients are at and what their risks are, what their opportunities are, and help them amplify the opportunities, minimize the risks. And things that we can do to achieve that, just to name two, are around uh, forecasting. So helping our clients to forecast as best we can, all things being equal, um, what the business will look like into the future from a digital perspective, um, and opportunity spotting. So looking for ways to uh, create opportunities or amplify opportunities for our, our customers. Yeah. The, the other thing that I'd add to this is making some decisions with our company about marketing for the future. So we need to think really carefully about our audience targeting um, and base that off of areas that just common sense decisions, targeting industries that we have a, a love for but they're also gonna we know are less risky um, over this next six months and beyond so I think there'll be some marketing decisions that we take not necessarily in respect of our services and the, the services that we offer but definitely for the types of industries that we target and we choose to work in we know and again common sense and this is a really difficult situation but we likely wouldn't go out now and target travel companies because it's so uncertain. Our goal would be for any current travel clients we're working with to help them get through this period um, because it's so uncertain that we need to focus all our energy on our existing customers, which is another key point, actually. So I would say that some of the decisions that we're making right now, you touched on opportunity spotting then, but even more explicitly, I would say that Though, like any marketing agency, uh, we're making changes to our marketing and our sales strategy, I think the situation has brought us even closer to our existing clients and we're able to have discussions outside the realms of our existing contracts. And that's proving really useful because it's mean we're spotting opportunities for other areas of marketing and business that maybe we, you know, those conversations perhaps wouldn't have otherwise happened. I think I alluded to that at the beginning of this uh, podcast as well. So you're over in Eastbourne. I'm uh, right in the central Brighton. And I think a lot of our uh, podcast listeners will know Brighton is South UK, about an hour train ride uh, away from London. In Brighton, it's um, a real digital hub. I can't remember... Was it silicon silicon by the sea is maybe the phrase that I've heard thrown around? Um, you know, in, in the UK, there's London, Manchester and Brighton that stand out to me as marketing and as digital hubs. What impact do you think this will have on our local economy in Brighton? Well, business landscape in, in Brighton or the greater Sussex. Um, in past recessions or instances of change, I think the the digital part of the community um, hasn't been massively impacted by a national decrease in sort of economic activity. So hence, you know, in 2008, 
Brighton's digital community largely got through that um, post-banking crisis recession relatively intact. In fact, more businesses were established then. But the uh, business landscape in Brighton will definitely change because if you're thinking beyond business, you know, our, our, our leisure economy is enormous in, in Brighton. And um, hotels, restaurants, it's what Brighton's famous for. Um, that's going to change. Change to what? Not quite sure. But um, in terms of the digital community in Brighton, I think there'll be the the strength and diversity of our freelancing community in Brighton, which is already an enormous strength, will come to the fore. Um, it's going to be interesting to see how those freelancers work, whether that will be in collaborative working spaces uh, or whether it will be from home um, with the sort of social distancing. Who, who knows at this stage? Um, you know, remote working. Um, you know, there'll be many businesses like ours, Scott, who'll be thinking, you know, why, why are we spending X thousand pounds a month on our office? Um, but, you know, we obviously do need to see each other every so often to re-socialise. But, um, you know, to operate, we don't need an office. Um, so what's going to happen to all the office space in Brighton? Previous, previously, that was the big thing that was in shortage in, in Brighton was office space. But, you know, will that continue? Um, and I really hope that Brighton will, and Sussex, you know, we are... There's a lot more to Sussex than just Brighton. As a person who lives near Eastbourne, would, would obviously want to want to pitch into the conversation. You know, Brighton and Sussex has has, has got a, a renowned reputation for innovation, for small business growth, for technology businesses, uh, working with creative businesses and traditional businesses to generate. Um, innovation through organizations like Wired Sussex that I'm very proud to be associated with. So I think that continued reputation for innovation, digital innovation, is just going to accelerate. The, the, three, the freelance point you touched on, I think, is really interesting. Um, from our agency, we know one of the most the difficult, one of the most difficult things ahead for us is winning new business. And that's because um, in terms of people being hesitant about spending money and so i imagine we're, we're very well supported we've got a breadth of experience in our company we've got different perspectives we can create engaging stories through those different perspectives and take different angles to win new business but i imagine it's really difficult right now as a freelancer to win business without that additional support unless you've got a really good support a freelance support network so i agree i think i mean what i'm hoping is that particularly locally in a place like ours in Brighton, I would hope there's a a coming together between agencies, between freelancers, and like you said, actually co-working spaces, because that's a big thing in Brighton. And for those businesses in co-working spaces to collaborate even more than they're currently doing. Uh, I actually don't know what's happening with co-working spaces. I imagine they've, they've been massively impacted by what's happening. So... Moving away from Brighton uh, and just thinking more about in closing some general tips right now. So regardless of the size of business, keeping this fairly general so it can be applicable to any business. What are some closing tips that you can give? Um, well, I've, I can share probably five five points. I, um, I want more. I want ten. <laughs> I'm gonna I'm gonna start with the five. So oh. we've got we've got um, so make a plan. So we talked about that crisis management plan, but the key is keeping it updated. Make a plan and keep it updated. 
um, communication openly and honestly um, with all of your key stakeholders, whether those be clients or staff or shareholders or financial organizations, so communicating openly. Third thing is help your clients above all else to find opportunities and help to reduce their risks. So this really is about your clients and as well as your staff. And focus on revenue generation opportunities. So when there, whilst there is a huge temptation in situations like this uh, to focus on reducing costs, certainly reduce your costs, but also put equal effort into revenue generation so that you're working at reducing your costs and increasing your revenue. And the last point, as you'd expect from a marketing guy and a marketing agency, you know, don't stop marketing. And this is beyond the passion. There are countless research-based um, reports and, and investigations into the financial benefits for those that continue to invest in marketing through difficult situations. So don't stop marketing. Yeah, I think on that closing point, uh, to discuss that with you, it's marketing is all-encompassing. So marketing doesn't mean that you necessarily have to be doing tactical things right now. That might not be the right thing to do. Marketing is about research. Um, marketing is about targeting. Marketing is about strategy. And there are several elements that you can work on right now that will benefit in you, you in the long run. And actually, one key theme that we've dis discussed throughout this, which is so important to marketing uh, and also just to our communication, our relationships right now, which we, we talked about a little bit before we started recording, is empathy. Now is the time uh, to demonstrate to practice, I think empathy is a practice and it's something that you have to continue to work at. Now's the time to seek your own perspective, to do a little bit of self-analysis, to understand that emotions are high and uh, to lead with empathy, I would say, throughout all aspects of your marketing, internally or externally. Uh, is, is that something that's come to the forefront for you recently, Jason? Um, def definitely. And it's been a you know, key message to have empathy, to show empathy, to look for empathy in all conversations, because this is more than a business situation. This is, you know, a global pandemic and, um, and it has life and death situations. So it is beyond business. So you have to have empathy. Yeah, I think it's a practice, as you've said. So I think it's just something we need to stick at. So and keep working out. So that is the end of our episode today. I hope you've enjoyed it. Jason, can you tell people where they can find you? Sure. Um, you can find find me at Site Visibility most, most days of the week. Um, so I'm at Jason Woodford on Twitter or on LinkedIn at Jason Woodford at Site Visibility. You'll find the show notes and the episode details at sitevisibility.co.uk. And I just want to take a moment to thank you. Um, this was my first episode as host. I've really enjoyed it. I hope you've enjoyed hearing from me. I look forward to your feedback and I look forward to more episodes in the future. Thank you, Jason. Scott, it's been a pleasure and thank you very much. Brilliant. Take care. Mom 
deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. If you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. Use the Stamps.com mobile app to mail everything you need to keep your business running with up to 89% off USPS and UPS. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Use code PROGRAM for a special offer. That's Stamps.com, code PROGRAM.